Good morning, Oak Park. It is good to be with you this morning. I'm going to be preaching from Psalm 16. So if you want to turn there in a moment, we'll read that text. As you know, I am uh, preaching to a mostly empty room, and as we seek to be respectful to the authorities that God has placed over us in our uh, local government, I can't help but be reminded of Charles Simeon, who for 12 years preached to a virtually empty church because they did not want him there. I pray that's not the case this morning. There's no personal issues there. Um, Simeon endured in his church and back then, they bought the pews or rented them, and uh, it was empty he, for 12 years, virtually empty. But his ministry stayed and endured and preached faithfully to that church. They did begin to fill up, and he stayed there for 54 years. That's encouraging for me as we think about these things this morning. Now, COVID-19 is impacting all of us in multiple ways. We don't need to be fearful, but we do want to respect um, the dangers. We want to be prudent to do those things. And so that's why we are having our service in the way that we are today. I want to read now from Psalm 16. Psalm 16, verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply... Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I think I speak for all of us when I say that perhaps the hardest thing that we're dealing with in this season is the uncertainty. We don't, uh, the, the unknown is always troubling. If we knew what was coming and we knew how long it was going to take, we could set our maps that way and then we would just go forward in that respect. But as we go forward not knowing what next week's going to hold or the week after that, that's more challenging for us. We live in days right now of disruption and distraction and potential danger. So I trust then this morning that Psalm 16 will be an encouraging reminder that God is sovereign and God is good. Oak Park, as we face this certain uncertainty or with any other, we join David in his petition when he says, Preserve us, O God, for in you we take refuge. It's a good pledge for our trust and it's a good prayer for our peace. The psalm is a helpful word in view of our present situation, but the sermon's not inspired by this. I had decided on this text some weeks back. I did change the title. Originally, I was going to talk about celebrating the goodness of God, and so in view of this present circumstance, I am titling it, Remembering the Goodness of God. 
I chose this text some time back because this psalm has been very special in my life, especially over the last four or five years. I'll share a couple of reasons why as we go through the sermon. I'm not sure, and, and the, the scholars are not really sure when the psalm was written, but verse 1 hints, gives us a hint, that it may be a time of some potential trouble in David's life. Then in verse 10, David does helps us here as he works his way to the end of the psalm. And in verse 10, he reflects great confidence in God. And we can draw back from David because we recognize that his relationship with God is described among the strongest of any in the Bible. David knew seasons of great blessing, so this psalm could have been in one of those seasons. David also knew seasons of great troubles and even great threats to his crown from within his own home. So this psalm could be from that sort of period. I think the psalm is helpful for us whether we are in a good season or we are dealing with difficult challenges. From David's testimony, this psalm should encourage us by reminding us how to focus on the goodness of God. No matter what's going on around us, our hearts should be turned toward him because he is good. And if you're not a believer this morning and you're listening, watching, I invite you to listen and watch with an open heart. I invite you to hear this morning that God is good and that you would turn to him for your own salvation. I've broken the psalm down into three statements of truth that I think help us remember God's goodness. They're very simple, straightforward. I want us to see God's goodness in his protection. I want us to see God's goodness in his provision. And I want, to see God, I want us to see God's goodness in his presence in our lives and in our deaths. Verse 1 through 4 remind us that God's protection of his children is one reason that we should remember his goodness. Let's look at those verses again. Verses 1 through 4. David starts, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So we see in this first section that God protects his saints. And I want to share two benefits of his protection. The first benefit is this. God's protection offers for us a sense of security. Preserve me, O God, is not an empty prayer from the life of a believer. It gives us a sense of security to know that God is protecting us. This one's not complex. This is pretty easy for us to understand. He begins the psalm with a straightforward precision. God, guard me. Guard me. Again, we don't know for sure what's going on, but David felt the need to pray in this moment for protection. So let me, let me suggest right away. This is a great way for us to channel our prayers in these days. When uncertainties arise... We should do all we can to take every thought captive to the goodness of God. Even when we walk through the valleys with dark shadows, God is a refuge to his children, and he will preserve those who trust in him. The second benefit, the assurance of God's protection helps us to be fully satisfied with God. Taking that from verses 2 through 4, I use the word satisfied here. We tend to use that word sometimes as just sort of, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I'm satisfied. I'm all right. I'll be okay. It's much more than that in this case. It's, being, it's, be, it's expressing a full confidence in God. It's expressing a full contentment in God, a full trust in God, and a full devotion towards God. 
When I use the word satisfied, that's what I'm looking for. Perhaps we could borrow from a famous praise, uh, phrase of another preacher that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So our satisfaction with God is important for us. David captures that in verse 2 when he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. That's similar, isn't it, to his more famous psalm, Psalm 23, when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Those are similar expressions. In verse 2 through 4, I want us to see three layers of the relationship that help us to create a satisfaction in God and to be able to sustain it no matter what's going on around us. Three layers. The first one is the bedrock, which is God himself. You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Now, if we pause, David says that in a very definitive way. But I think if we were to pause and take a little survey in our lives today, I think all of us would say we have much good in our lives. Many of us go home to precious families, and that's a good for us. Many of us are well provided for. We don't hurt for anything. That's a good for us. We look around the room. We look around our church. We think about those that God has placed around us in our relationships, and that's a good for us. We recognize those are goods. So God is not the only good thing that we have in our lives, but he is the only one who is always good. He is the only one who is supremely good. David is reminding us, as James tells us, God is the source of everything that is good. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. That's a good word for every season for us because it reminds us that the blessings that we have in this life flow out of our relationship with a very good God. First layer is God. The second layer involves the people of God, the saints, David says, in whom is all my delight. God is all wise. He's perfect in his wisdom. And he knows that every one of us need help if we're going to endure to the end. The church is a sweet grace for God's children. As we take precautions in the coming weeks, we're going to want to stay in contact. Even as we're not together as often as we might like to be, we're going to want to stay in contact with our church family. Chris sent out a great email two or three days ago to the community group leaders offering guidance, suggesting that they need to stay connected. They're welcome to meet, but they need to stay together through this season when we can't all gather together. I think we would acknowledge that brothers and sisters in Christ are a gift from God. And even in the ornery moments, we should find delight in the saints of God. The third layer is a protective layer. Speaks to us about the boundaries of God. David says, I will not, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their, their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Essentially, David is pledging not to be involved with ungodly people or ungodly things. He says it this way in Psalm 101. Verse 2, I will ponder the way that is blameless. I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. I will not take the names of other gods on my lips. We cannot hear this warning too often. Chasing after things that are not of God is always dangerous. 
always dangerous. Verse 4 reminds us that we have a role in our own protection. We have a role in staying on the paths of righteousness. We must guard our lives, and we must keep them within the wide and expansive and sweet boundaries that God gives to us. So church, let me exhort you in this way. Surround yourselves with godly people. Surround your life with godly things. Discipline your desires for the things that draw you near to God. And discipline your desires to push away and to reject the things that pull you away from God. Hebrews 12.1 comes to mind. I think about that coming on the tail end of that great chapter that we know in chapter 11 of those faithful folks. Then the author writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. One pastor summarizes it very neatly when he says that this verse reminds us we are to remove everything that is doubtful. If we're not sure that that thing is drawing us near to God, we need to be warned and we need to be ready to cast it aside. Let me give you one more note before we move on. I want to come back to the life of the church. In our world, the church is a great source of protection for us. It's God's goodness to us in that way. It's through the church, after all, that we learn truth. It's through the church that we learn how to love one another. And we get experience loving those who may not be so lovable all the time. We do that in the church. We're not inclined to do that in the world. It is through the church that we learn how to help to find hot, excuse me, to find help in fighting sin. The church is a key line of defense. As we think about verse 4 of, of not pouring out drink offerings of blood, not taking the names of other gods or the godless on our lips. As we think about that, the church is a key line of defense against the lure of idols and the attractiveness of idolaters, whoever they may be for us. So David starts us off on a very God-centered path. One of the reasons this psalm is so precious. God's goodness is made evident to us in his protection of us. It's also made evident to us in his provision. That's what I want to talk about in verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Don't you love the way David sort of transfers between first person and third person? Isn't that sweet? And he does that regularly in the Psalms. It just shows how personal this is to him. Uh, that was free. That was improv. Verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Before we look at those two verses, I want to nail down just a couple of stakes for context here. Portion, cup, lot. Those are probably terms that are referring to God's allotment of land when the tribes of Israel crossed over into the promised land. In David's mind, he is saying, you are my portion, God. That means, portion means quantity. That means David is saying, God, you are enough. David says, that you hold my lot. A lot means that this is a providential care of God. And I think David is telling us there, God, your will is best for me, whatever you give to me. The cup, the word has a dual meaning, and I think it, it ties us to the gospel. So I'm going to come back to that in a few moments. God provides for his saints. Here again, we see another evidence of God's relation, excuse me, of David's relationship with God. Listen, in verse 5, David's provision is enough because God is enough. Is that true for us? 
Or is it only true when God does give us ample things? Are we satisfied in God alone? David's testimony is personal. As we can see here, David is savoring the giver more than he savors the gift. The Lord is David's portion. The Lord is David's cup. And though God had given much to David, I think he's using this language here in verse 5 to say that he is praising God and he is not praising God for something that God gave him. He is praising God because God gave himself to David. That's a sweet and sustaining word for us. Think about it with me now. God is not praising God because of, excuse me, David is not praising God because of what God had given David. He is praising God because God gave David himself. What does that say to us? How does that remind us when we think about Christ? It reminds me this way. In Christ, God gives himself to everyone who repents and trusts in him. God gives himself to everyone who repents and trusts in him. David savors the giver more than he savors any gift that God may have given him or that God may have withheld from him. I'm wearing a tie today, and I'm wearing a tie pin today. I may be one of the last ten guys in the world to wear a tie pin when I wear a tie. I don't like my tie flopping around. I flop around a lot, and I don't want my tie flopping around when I flop around. I want it to go where I go. Almost all of my tie pins came from my dad. I wear these because my dad gave them to me. The tie pin, the gift, calls my mind back to my dad who is the giver, and I am grateful. When you look at the gifts that God has given you, what do you see? Do you see the gift or do you see the giver? In this psalm, David is looking straight in the heart of the giver. Life teaches us, we need to be real, life teaches us that sometimes the gift from God will be peace and, and progress and great prosperity. At other times, the gift is going to be a broken relationship or a financial setback or something even worse. Both come from the same giver. The giver is sovereign. The giver is always wise, and he is always good. Romans 8, 28 reminds us, no matter what God permits to come our way or what God deliberately and intentionally causes to come our way, it is always for our good. It is easy to praise him in seasons of peace and progress and prosperity. It's more challenging, but equally as important, if not more so, to praise him when something is broken, when he sends to us a gift that we do not necessarily desire. So my takeaway from verse 5 is this. God's provision is always enough because God is always enough. Then I come to verse 6, and similarly, God's provision is pleasing because God is pleasing. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I'm going to stay here for a minute because I'm going to suggest something that I hope you can stay with me as I go through it. Some scholars suggest that David wrote this psalm when things were going well for him. And they were going well for the people of Israel. There certainly could be context for that. But I've already mentioned to you that in David's life, he would not be a stranger to hard times. He would not be a stranger to threatening situations. 
even in those times, because, because God was at the center of David's life, and David saw all of his life through the prism of God's love for him, the lines of David's life were pleasing to him. Now stay with me as we work through this. Joseph, Job, and Paul, and Jesus, others, all suffered greatly. But all of them would testify that their lines had fallen in pleasant places. The beauty and delight of God in their hearts and their minds was not in their circumstances. It was in God himself. We all experience unwanted circumstances. We all experience things that, that, that we don't want around us. We're all dealing on a simple form, but a, but a very inconvenient form. We're all dealing with this thing called COVID-19. Circumstances come and go. Circumstances are good and bad. All of them come through the divine providence of a good God. Circumstances change, but God doesn't change. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. In the theme of this psalm, he is good yesterday and today and forever. The risk of overplaying this metaphor. Let me, let me just share an illustration with you. Imagine your life being represented on a graph. Now, some of us are old enough to remember circled in dots on a page and then little lines. Others of you don't have any knowledge of that. You just call up your software and you pop the graph up there. Either way, imagine your life being represented on a graph. By the way, I would remind you, slide rules got me into the moon and back. I'm just saying. When, 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 imagine this, this, your life is on this graph and the dots on the graph represent the circumstances in your life at any given time in your life. Some of those dots are going to reflect happy circumstances, good circumstances. They're going to be high spots on the graph. Some of those dots represent sad circumstances or difficult circumstances. They're going to be low spots on the graph. The line on your graph is what connects the dots or your circumstances to one another. The line is moving to a certain end for us. So as we read from David this morning, we remember that God is the one who is charting our graph, and he is for our good. We're not suggesting that every dot's going to be a high dot. We're going to have some dips. I'm not suggesting that every circumstance is going to be a pleasant circumstance. We're going to have some very unpleasant circumstances. I am saying that because it is God who is providentially charting the lines of your life, I pray that you can see that the lines are falling for you in pleasant places. David affirms that at the end of the psalm, and we'll get to that in a few moments. But first, let me remind you that the ultimate circumstance in your life is where you're going to spend eternity. That's the ultimate circumstance. Every good or bad thing in this life is going to pass away, but your eternal destination is forever. In verse 6, the psalmist is saying, God is my inheritance, and he is beautiful to me in this life and in the next life. In verse 5 and 6, David is saying, God, you are good. God, you are enough. You are my shepherd, God, I shall not want. Joseph realized that what his brothers meant for evil, God meant for good. Job realized that whether God gives or God takes away, Job was still going to bless the name of the Lord. Paul realized that the sufferings of this present time were not comparable with the glories that are going to be revealed. 
Despite unspeakable shame, Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was coming to him. One phrase in verse 5 chases me to the gospel. The Lord is my cup. David uses that phrase to represent the blessings of God's provision in the person of God himself. The Lord is my cup. And he spoke about that cup again in, in his more famous psalm, Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So that's one image we have of the cup. We have another image in Jeremiah 25. Verse 15, thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to Jeremiah, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath, and make all the nations of whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. So in David's psalm, we read of the cup of God's blessing. In, in Jeremiah, we read of the cup of God's wrath. Same word, two very different applications. When we read that God is David's cup, we need to remember that the cup can also represent the wrath of God, and that should chase our mind to our Savior. Believers don't drink from the cup of God's wrath because Jesus drank from it on the cross. Just as God was David's cup, he is the cup for everyone who will turn from their own life of being their own Lord and trust in him. Just as God was David's cup, he is a cup for all of us who will turn from sin and trust in Jesus. I would paraphrase, if I can this morning with permission, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath so that we might drink the cup of God's righteousness. Can you say with David this morning that God is your cup? Are you trusting God to be enough? I'm not preaching pie in the sky. I know that there can be difficult times. There can be times when we don't seem to have enough. What I am asking you to do is to place your full confidence and trust for your salvation in the death and the resurrection of Christ alone. Then you will see with David and you will be able to say with David that God is your portion and God is your cup and he alone holds the lot of your salvation. In the first point, we recall the goodness of God's protection. In these last two verses, 5 and 6, we want to remember the goodness of God's provision. We come to verses 7 through 11. I want us to see how David rehearses the goodness of God in the form of his presence. God is present in the lives and deaths of his saints. Look with me in verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, and because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, David's working to his conclusion here, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. And he gets first person with God. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Two observations. First one is this. God's presence had great influence over David's life. 
God's presence had great influence over David's life. I, I see that expressed in three ways. First, in verse 7, I see it expressed in the influence of wisdom. The influence of wisdom. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. The counsel of the Lord comes to us in many ways. It comes to us through His Word, probably primarily that way. It comes to us through His Holy Spirit. It comes to us through our pastors and those who teach us and sit over us or stand over us with the Word of God. And it comes to us from other believers. All of those are channels of wisdom uh, that, that come to us through the counsel of the Lord. In whatever reform we receive God's counsel, it becomes for us or should become for us the influence of wisdom. The influence of wisdom. I get a chance to stay in touch with uh, uh, our correspondent in the Middle East. Her name is Liz. We talk about her gospel conversations. She often refers, when she's talking about these things and telling me the stories about them, that uh, many of her friends are, 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 are waiting for revelation in dreams. Wanting to hear from dreams. And, and, and they come back and report sometimes that they are, they are beginning to hear from dreams. She gets very excited at that stage. It is very common in that culture for those to receive revelation in dreams. But most of us in the West, we don't put a whole lot of stock in dreams and visions. Yet I'm mindful of the times, listen to me now, I'm mindful of the times when I have said or even heard somebody say, let me sleep on it and I'll get back to you. You heard that, some form of that. I'm mindful of that. I've said it. And sometimes we do wake up and we experience a fresh clarity over something we weren't quite clear about the night before. Can I suggest to you without being too mystical here, that's the wisdom of God instructing you in the night. God's presence has great influence over David's life through the influence of wisdom. Secondly, it also brings the influence of stability. Verse 8 and 9. Not be shaken, my flesh also dwells secure. So I'm drawing this thought. I don't want us to run past this, though. Many things can shake our faith. You live longer, you, you'll see that. You'll have more opportunities for more things to rattle your faith a little bit. Remembering the goodness of God serves to stabilize your faith. Does that matter? Isaiah said that it did. He said, if you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. The influence of a stable faith is, is personal for me. I said this was a very key psalm for me over the last several years. And one of the reasons is five and a half years ago, five and a half years ago, I went through major surgery for a heart problem. Through all of that, through every day, while I know my heart problem is still with me, it can't fix it, it's a disease, they can treat it, they can keep an eye on it, but they can't cure it. So my heart problem's never going to go away, it's always with me, and so is the Lord. God's presence stabilizes my faith. I find rest in remembering that He is at my right hand, therefore I am not shaken in the midst of these realities. God's presence brings the influence of wisdom. It brings the influence of stability. And one more, it brings the influence of gladness and joy. I take that from verse 9. This one's, this one's personal also, but from a, from a different sort of way. The blessings in my life are way too many to count. Way too many. I am a much blessed man. Still, I am a man this side of heaven. And so I can wrestle with discontent. 
I can wrestle with discontent over, my, uh, over the reality of my health situation, or I can wrestle with discontent over some other struggle that comes along. So when I come to verse 9 and I read in verse 9, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices and my flesh also dwells secures, secure. Depending on where my mood is when I'm reading that, I'm often convicted when I read that. And I have to confess before the Lord my discontent. And I remember that with God, no matter what's going on in my life, my flesh dwells secure. God's presence was a constant influence in David's life. And it should be likewise for us. God dwells in believers in the person of his Holy Spirit. Say amen. Okay, say amen. I had to get one good one. I had to get one good one. Thank you. God dwells in believers in the person of people on the thing. Maybe they're amen in it. I don't know. God dwells in believers in the person of his Holy Spirit. Listen, his influence in that way through us, 24-7, through the remainder of our days, his influence in that way should gladden our hearts and it should cause us to rejoice. Circumstances notwithstanding. And finally, God's presence, first we see in verse 10 that God's presence had the great influence over David's life and his presence was also a constant source of assurance to David and it should be a source of assurance to us. Let me take uh, these last two verses in order. David trusted God to preserve his soul at death. You see that in verse 10. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. I see the gospel again when I look at verse 10. I'm reminded as Nathan read from us, for us from, from Acts chapter 2, Peter preaching at, content, uh, at, at Pentecost. Peter used this passage. He drew from this passage to speak of the resurrected Christ. Paul did likewise in his sermon in Antioch in Acts 13. And he was doing that to, have, to give them assurance. This is a true and certain hope that you can rely on. And so when we read verse 10, our mind should draw the same assurance. For everyone who is a follower of Christ, he will not abandon your soul to Sheol. He will not let your soul see corruption. I realize in some situations, I've pastored long enough to know this, that, that death can bring a welcome closure to a very sad health situation. I get that. I don't want to be unreal about that. There are times when I have prayed, Lord, don't let this linger. This is your saint. Your saint wants to go home. Please do that. I've prayed that way. So death can be a welcome closure. But listen to me. Listen to me. Never forget, death is always our enemy. We were not created to die. We were created to live. Death is always our enemy because death results from sin. And sin is always our enemy. Never forget that. Paul said death is the last enemy. But we see, as we think of David's words in verse 10, death was not the last word for Jesus. And it's not the last word for any of us who have placed our faith in Jesus. I realize that that. that, that that we, we stand on the truth that death is never our, uh, never our friend. Not really. It can bring relief, but it's always an enemy. Just as Paul preached the hope of the resurrection at Antioch, he trusted that same truth in his last days. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 4, excuse me, 2 Timothy 4, verse 18, Paul writes, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. That's Paul's way of saying, The Lord will not let his holy ones see corruption. 
David trusted God to preserve his soul in death. And David trusted God to be present in his life in verse 11. Three examples of God's presence, and I want to link each one to the Lord Jesus and his gospel. So we'll start each one with this phrase. God is present through Jesus for salvation. First part of verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. David's writing about God. Jesus does that. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, and I have come that you have life and have it abundantly. More directly, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So God is present through Jesus for our salvation. God is also present through Jesus for our joy. And your presence is fullness of joy. That's Jesus too. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. John 15, 11. God is present through Jesus for our salvation. He's present through Jesus for our joy. And he is present through Jesus for our eternal pleasure. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's Jesus again. I have said these things to you that you may have peace. Said, uh, um, excuse me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace, Jesus said in John 16. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And then we couple that with Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 1 that all all, all, every promise of God finds its yes in Jesus. Through Jesus, we utter our amens to the glory of God. The yeses of God that come in Jesus find their ultimate fulfillment in heaven, in God's presence. Life and joy and eternal pleasure are three reasons for us to remember God's goodness. All three of those come in a relationship with Jesus. COVID-19 is a killer. We should pray against it. Even as we're dealing with all the uncertainties that we're facing, even as we're trying to get to the end of it, it's killing people. Now, by God's grace at this point yet, the numbers aren't massive. And we could argue other things kill more people. I get that. I get that. This is a little different. We need to hold on to who we are in Christ while they work these things out. We need to be respectful of those who are assigned, who are appointed over us by God as our governing authorities. It's a killer, and there are good reasons to exercise caution in limiting exposure. I'm sure you understand that. While precautions and preventative measures remain appropriate, we fight fear by remembering these three things. God protects his saints. God provides for his saints. God is always present in the life and death of his saints. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for this sweet psalm. Thank you for your providence. I did not choose it with this virus in, in mind, but I pray that it's been helpful in the season of this virus. Father, it should be helpful for us at any season of our life because it's just an encouraging psalm. You do preserve us. You are our refuge. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You do make known to us the paths of life. So, God, we look to you no matter what's going on in our lives. We know that you are charting the graves of our lives. And so we can say with David, the lines are falling for us in pleasant places. We know this side of glory. Not every circumstance is going to be pleasant. 
the one who is guiding all of those, governing over all of those, is always for our good. So we rejoice in you today. Father, as we go forth from here, I pray that you would continue to help us remember that you are present in our lives and help us remember that you are always good. Yesterday, today, and forever. We praise you in Jesus' name.